0: Life. Welcome everyone to today's program. I'm Karen Sander. I love being here in the studio interviewing really interesting people. Some people really thrive on challenging themselves. They push themselves outside their comfort zone. And with this brings great satisfaction, personal growth and a zest for life. My guest today is Kathy Veal, and I'm out to find out more about an upcoming adventure later this year. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Karen. Kathy, we recently met through friends, and it is pretty amazing what you're doing. Can you share about this exciting
1: adventure that you're undertaking? Well, It actually sounds quite small when I say it, but um, my friend Bridget and I are planning to enter the two-handed division of this year's Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race. That's pretty exciting. So explain two-handed. Two-handed means that you sail with a crew of just two. In fact, you have two co-skippers on the boat and do all of the watchkeeping, steering navigation, sail management all yourself. You're allowed to have an autopilot to help steer, but all the two-handers I've spoken to spend most of their time steering. That's pretty amazing. How many days does that take? I mean, obviously. You can't
0: tell me because it's determined by the wind and the conditions, Mm. but on average, how long would you expect that the two of you were doing this? Well, the
1: boat that we're going in, my little boat, is a Currawong class. It's a bird boat. It's a bird a bird boat. Yeah, we think there are three birds, actually, Bridget, me, and, and, and Carrawong. But the, that class of boat actually won the Sydney to Hobart in 1981 and was the smallest yacht ever to do so. So a 30-foot yacht, you might think of averaging around about five knots over the course of the race through all the winds. So we expect it'll be somewhere between five, maybe six days, seven if it's longer than that. Yeah. And these big maxis take three? Yeah. So you're out there for a lot longer. We we get our money's worth.
0: (laughs) The point I'm getting to in in what you said Mm. earlier is Mm. that there's two of you. Yep. And you do the watches. Mm. You can have an autopilot. Yep. But
1: being two of you and five days, when do you actually sleep, eat? Yeah, well... What it actually amounts to is two people sailing single-handed but alternating. There'll be some manoeuvres that will need both of us up on deck. And we'll manage just getting sleep as you can. I've done a, a few kind of extended passages on boats and races. And for the first maybe 24 hours, you don't sleep so much. But by day two and a half to three, you become an expert at dropping off to sleep as soon as you hit the pillow and waking up ready to go when you need to. Yeah, it'll be tiring. You know, I think we both have already know that we've got the stamina to do that.
0: What I know from other people mm. that sail is sleeping is not, oh, I'm just going to bed for the next eight hours. They're short sleeps, aren't they? Abs- yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're just catching mm. a catnap, really. Yep. And what about food, etc.? Will that all be
1: prepared? We haven't really planned that so much, but I don't think we're going to do a lot of cooking. It'll be reheating. And we'll try and get all our meals sorted beforehand. It's important to have at least one hot meal in the 24 hours. It's really important for morale. There's a lot of things that you have to think about in
0: planning for this. Cathy, I think that something that we all should know is that you and Bridget aren't 25-year-olds. You're not. Forty-year-olds, you're not fifty-year-olds. You're both approaching or around the seventy-year-old, which makes this adventure, you know, to many of us more exciting for you because you know it's something that a lot of seventy-year-olds wouldn't put themselves through. So
1: tell us more about Kathy. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're right. I did. I turned seventy earlier this year, and uh, Bridget's a few years behind me, but. We both are are up for it because we both still can do it and both of us just love sailing. At the moment, we're getting out on the water two or three times a week and it's something that we both want to do and are physically blessed that we can still do it. Between us, we've got 95 years sailing experience. Oh, that's a fair bit. (laughs) It is. Yeah, Yeah. it is. A lot of sailing experience. So I, I started sailing really when I was 18, in my 20s, and that was on an S&S 34 back in 1970. And at that stage, that was kind of the hot offshore racing boat because a famous one, Morning Cloud, won the Sydney Hobart in 1969. Mm-hmm. So this was a brand-new boat, and that's where I learned to sail, and that's where I really developed a love of sailing. And about you, though, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Other than
0: sailing, tell us a little bit about your life and your background.
1: Yeah, um, well, I grew up in suburban Sydney, largely. Career-wise, I went to art school, teachers' college, and I was a high school art teacher for many years. My most recent school up in the Blue Mountains, where I now live, I was um, running the outdoor ed program there. And through that, in many ways, I could see the impact of... The challenges of outdoor education and the importance of that in the the well-being of students mm-hmm. and that just fitted with my own kind of personal history of experiences yeah. of sailing all kinds of boats. So um, first boat I had of my own was um, a little 24-foot timber yacht. I actually bought that boat because after, let's say, a series of relationships that didn't really work out, I decided I'm not going to focus on that. Let's just come back to doing something that I want to do because I like it. And what's that? And I went sailing. So, okay, I'll buy a boat. So I did a little 24-foot timber boat with half its ribs broken and a little petrol engine. And I learned with the help of a shipwright how to put it back together again. So Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of skills there and started sailing that boat up and down the coast of New South Wales. And uh, I look back now and think I'd never take that boat offshore. But back then, when you don't know, you, you do
0: stuff. So, And who was with you on that boat doing that? Uh, another,
1: uh, okay- you had someone with you? Occasionally single-handed. So oh, really? So I'd go up from Sydney to Pittwater on my own. But at other times I took friends with me and sailed. After a couple of years, uh, I wanted a bigger boat slightly bigger and more seaworthy and this little little gorgeous little boat sailed over from New Zealand, uh, arrived in Sydney and about a year later when the owners were ready to sell I, I bought her and then I lived on board that for five years mm. and um, during that time I learned more about cruising. I got involved with the Coastal Cruising Club uh, which exists to sort of promote cruising and you cruise to further and further places but in company with other people so you kind of feel there's a bit of a safety net so this is you're cruising with other boats around you
0: that's right. what's happening so yeah. even if you're going single-handed that's right you have people yeah. nearby yeah. yeah
1: and that makes sense. kind of provided a really good safety net yeah, it makes sense yeah and then at the same time I went to classes at Sydney TAFE and learned coastal navigation and celestial navigation and eventually acquired enough miles to be examined for a yacht master offshore qualification mm. which I got and then after that quite soon after that somebody offered me a position as a navigator on a race yacht and then that was really my introduction to racing long offshore and short offshore racing Mm. And so I was on a really steep learning curve there. I was the only woman on the boat with eight or nine guys Mm -hmm. who were the rest of the crew, which was pretty typical back then. But I got a lot of confidence and experience through that. And what were you doing on that? particular boat or on those boats um I was the navigator oh you were the navigator yes, so that was that was my major role but then you also worked on deck as part of the crew for various maneuvers where they needed everyone like jibing the spinnaker and so, so where forth. does a navigator in one of those boats work you have a nav station back in that day that was all paper charts it was in the early days of satellite navigation, no GPS or anything. So you're at a table. You spend a good part of the race down below. You're coming up to take bearings off the coast to fix your position and doing radio skeds through the race and so forth. Well, it's
0: it sounds really amazing. I want to come back later mm. to navigating on on what you're. You know, you yeah. can go through some of the things that sure. are gonna, you have to mm. know to do this Sydney mm. to Harbour. But what about your sailing? Um, buddy Bridget
1: Yeah, um, well Bridget Bridget's also sailed All her adult life as well With equal passion She's um, just recently Retired from nursing She had a long and very uh, very Successful career as a nurse And she's now A, a volunteer with SES uh, She's a, a field Team leader and mm-hmm. um, So she was recently driving Flood boats up in the north coast and so forth yeah that's a very important role and a a great skill that she's yeah so she's she's giving back really comfortable in challenging situations how did you meet Bridget yeah well that's a whole whole other story back in 1989 you know I'd been sailing on this boat full of guys and a girlfriend of mine rang me and she said look we're thinking of organizing a all women, Sydney to Hobart campaign. What do you think? And uh, I was straight away interested. Yeah. So this was um, February nineteen eighty nine, and the four of us got together and we formed a, an organisation called Women on Water mm-hmm. and set about establishing a bit of a profile for ourselves because none of us had a boat that was suitable. We didn't have any money to buy a boat or or charter a boat, so we just needed to get a bit of a team built, develop a profile and get some support and sponsorship and a crew to sail the boat. So by the end of the year, we managed to achieve that and we did do the Sydney to Hobart. Women on Water then went on to organise regattas in J24s and uh, organise sailing clinics and skills to develop women's sailing And then went on with another yacht, Nadia 4, to do, I think it was five other Hobart races. So this isn't your first Hobart coming up? No, it'll be my third. And uh, my mate Bridget. Bridget, I met uh, through the Women on Water project way back in 1989. She didn't do that first 1989 Hobart, but she did some subsequent ones. And she's now done six or seven Hobart Mm. races. We... Didn't see each other for years, but then we did reconnect through an organisation called Sailors with Disabilities. Uh, it's now called the Making Waves Foundation, but uh, it was established to give people with disabilities—so I'm talking severe disabilities like blindness, like being an amputee, a double amputee, etc.—to mm-hmm. give people access to racing at a top level, and uh, they competed many times in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, successfully. And um, the organisation also provides programs where children and adults with disabilities can go sailing on an ocean racing yacht. Mm. Sounds like a great organisation. Yeah. So so we hooked up in, in that project. Uh, I'm actually a volunteer skipper with Making Waves and Bridget and I were doing some racing together, and that's how we met each other again. So how did the idea of doing the Sydney Hobart together Yeah, come what up? was the conversation starter? <laughs> I guess that there were a couple of things. One is that I bought a new boat. I've had a few boats now, um, been without one for 18 months and thought I'd done with sailing. But turns out there's still unfinished sailing business that I need to do. I don't know why. <laughs> but... Um, Sometimes things just aren't finished. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's no particular reason. Yeah, it's just because I it, can. I know. It just because you can and it just feels good, especially at the time in my life to kind of think well yeah we we can do this and it's a project and it's a focus and it gives you a purpose and 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 it's passion exactly all of those things project purpose passion yeah the
0: three (laughs) yeah yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. so um but the little boat that I've got now uh, really it's the first boat I've ever owned that could possibly do the race and could satisfy all the safety requirements and so forth so that's one and the second was that Last year, they introduced for the first time a two-handed division in the race. And when you're cruising, which was my background in sailing, you're always short It's usually husband and wife or maybe three people or single-handed. So it means, you know, I love doing all the jobs on a boat, all aspects of sailing and, and running a boat. I, I love all that. And so it just seemed a natural fit of... Um, my interests and experience and, you know, finally having a boat that could possibly do it. I know
0: to some of us who aren't really sailors, it's a. it sounds pretty scary to me, especially some of the things we know about the Sydney to Hobart. It's not a walk in the park all the time. You know, it's hard work and it takes days mm-hmm. and you're subject to the weather conditions. So let's talk about the song that you've chosen today, Orinoco Flow by Enya.
1: Well, this goes back to our 1989 Women on Water campaign. Uh, We did finally get media attention and somebody made a little video that went to air on TV and they used this song as a soundtrack. So it takes me back to that.
0: You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station. This is Karen Sander from Ageing Fearlessly and in the studio today with me, I have Kathy Veal who, with her friend Bridget, will, at the end of this year on Boxing Day, sail the Sydney to Hobart in the two-handed division. So, Kathy, my next question to you, and we sort of started to touch on it, but we didn't quite finish Sometimes when people are out and about in a bar or at a party, they make a decision or they discuss something they'd love to do in life. And it's like probably the craziest thing ever. And they think it's a really good idea, but they probably wake up the next day and go, oh my God, crap, what did I just say last night? And do I have to do this? So getting to that question Where was the conversation started for you and Bridget to embark on this journey?
1: Well, I think we were sitting on the rail on the windward side of a race boat and talking about the boat that I'd just bought and about the Sydney Hobart. And I said, look, they've got a two-handed division. I think it could be fun to have a crack at it.
0: There was no wine involved, was there?
1: <laughs> none none at all. A lot of salt water probably. <laughs> and um and Bridget just said, Let's do it. Just like that. And that was the nudge I need. So I was like dipping my toe in the water and all of a sudden we're we're in the water.
0: <laughs> and I think that's really great. Yeah. And you didn't overthink it. You just both went, Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, not really looking at well, what's it going to take to do it? It's just making the decision. That's
1: right. And um, what I I found is sort of really since retiring, I retired probably earlier than I should have for rational financial reasons, but I didn't want to find myself too old to do anything other than being an art teacher. Um, You know, there's so many ways of being in the world and I wanted to do things while I still could. So I had this attitude back then that, Whatever opportunities come my way, I'm just going to say yes and then see what doors open from that. And that opportunity was responding to a little ad in a float magazine for sailors with disabilities Mm -hmm. who wanted volunteers. They were having an orientation day. And so once I got involved with them, I was then asked to run one of their programs um, as the skipper on the boat. And I just sort of went, yep. I can do that and then it was what have I got myself into and I was on a really, really steep learning curve. But the whole um, attitude of sailors with disabilities or making waves as they've now rebranded themselves is not let's think about the reasons why something can't happen, it's what do we want to do, how do we make it happen? So this whole thing of being optimistic and positive which, you know, I won't say that's new to me. I think that's probably part of, part who, of who I, I am. Yep. That was a setting where that can really flourish. And I think that has kind of been a big part in getting us to even feeling that we could do this. And I think mm. in life,
0: people would love to do things, but they say, I'd love to do that. But then they start overthinking it. Mm. And everything is one step at a time. Yeah, And, you know, yes, the big picture might be mm. sailing the Sydney to Hobart in a two ha- in the two-handed division, but then you break it down into, well, how and what steps. It's a project.
1: It it's sure a, and is. It pro- takes yeah. project yeah. management. Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. so we're going to talk yeah. about some of the things that you will have to do because it's, you know, you just don't jump in the boat and sail it. Exactly. Exactly. No. What? things concern you about doing this? Are there any fears?
1: Ooh, I don't think fear is really part of the story. Certainly there are quite a lot of obstacles that we've got to overcome and all of those in fact are in getting us across the start line of the race. The way I sort of see it now is that is by far the biggest challenge. I've got a feeling that if we can get there, once we cross the start line, we're going to go, oh, thank goodness, now we can just enjoy this race that we've wanted to do.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you ever um, visualise yourself and the Sydney to Hobart with all those boats on the harbour, all those spectators mm. and the helicopters up above and the news crews and the journalist? Does that blow your mind to think about that?
1: Uh, yeah, it's pretty crowded and very intense on on the harbour and i've been there a couple of times and you you've really you've got adrenaline going through you at that point these days they stagger the start line so it might be a little bit easier and hopefully that period might only last in the time it takes you to get from the start line to the heads then you've got a bit more room to move and you in the element you want to be in pretty much which boats get to go out first Oh, the big boats, the 100-footers. <laughs> and, you know, they'll get up to the heads in 10 minutes or so. Yeah. We'll probably take, oh, depending on the wind, we could take 20 minutes, half an hour. And uh, hopefully the winds are lovely that day when it happens.
0: But, Cathy, mm. there's another song that you chose, Lighthouse by the Waves." Yeah.
1: <laughs> What's the history behind this and why you like it? Oh, look, it, I like the little poppy tune of the song and then when you listen to the words it's all about the uncertainties that you have in yourself reaching out for help but then realizing that the lyric in it is uh, I can light your way but that is all steer your own ship back to shore ah and that
0: is something you are going to have to do Mm. this is Lighthouse by the waifs to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Ageing Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Ageing Fearlessly. In the studio today with me is Kathy Veal, and she is sailing the two handed division with her friend Bridget in the Sydney to Hobart, starting on the 26th of December this year out of Sydney Harbour. And we're just discussing about the race and her plans, but how do you prepare for this
1: huge race? Ah, yeah, there is a lot to do. So um, there's a a couple of aspects to it. One is um, preparing the boat. Obviously, it's got to uh, be compliant Um, and these safety regulations are now really stringent, um, especially after that really tough race in 1998. There are massive hoops for us to jump through in terms of the crew, like our qualifications. We have to have sea safety survival certificates. So there are lots of courses we've got to do to get ourselves ready and for the boat to be compliant with safety equipment and uh, communications equipment and even more so for the two-handed division because uh, they understand that, you know, for instance, if somebody, if one of us ends up in the water, we're going to need different approaches to getting each other back on board. So we've got to be able to demonstrate these manoeuvres. So we've got to get the boat up to par. Um, She's actually... Not that far off at, at a basic level it 's good to know, <laughs> yeah, even though I bought the boat, I paid less than thirty thousand for it, and uh, you know lots of people spend more than that on their car, so she 's a, a really low budget boat, which is kind of within my own financial framework and and means, just, <laughs> but she 's a really sound boat, and uh, I sailed her up from Melbourne in February because that's where she was when were I you on her. your own or no but I was two-handed okay I uh, had one crew from Melbourne to Eden and then another crew from Eden up to Sydney and on the very first day uh, after we left Melbourne which was actually my very first day sailing the new boat the forecast was pretty good for the whole trip apart from the a high chance of thunderstorms Ooh. and we sailed straight into a pretty significant one uh, about an hour out of Melbourne and uh, we had winds over 40 knots for the uh, best part of an hour. The upshot of that was that we handled the boat, we didn't break anything, the boat was really comfortable in that situation and it uh, meant that I stopped worrying about getting too much wind mm. and uh, that that was just a great you know, it was like with the boat and me. She didn't. She looked after us. We didn't break anything, and it was like, yeah, we're friends. Even getting
0: out of Port Phillip Bay is a challenge. I've watched big ships get out of there. It doesn't look an easy place
1: to get out of. Yeah, you have to you have to pick your moment with the wind and tide, and uh, that was one of the things that yeah, worked in our favour uh, for the timing of our trip. So, yeah, amazing, that was good. What other things do you need in preparation?
0: You've got certificates to do, you've yep. got safety pr- to prepare.
1: Yep. How else do you prepare for this race? Okay. Well, I, I'm aiming to get the the boat ready in terms of her equipment. With the sailing gear, we've got to check out our spinnaker systems, how we manage that. So all the hardware and, and boat equipment, we want sorted pretty much by the end of June And from July onwards, then we just need to sail, sail, sail and go over all our manoeuvres and drills and get to know every aspect of what we can do. Um, And through that, then work out what, if any, modifications we need to do to really manage it single-handed. Because of, you know, light winds and a lot of rain, we've actually had very few opportunities to Mm. sail the boat and, you know, other aspects of, but we're, we're dedicating time to our crew training and sail training. We've also got to do some qualifying races and passages, which mandated for competitors in the two-handed division as well. So that's later in the year.
0: I have a question. These practice mm. sails you're going to do, are some of these offshore?
1: Oh, yeah, and they'll be overnight as well because we need we need to get that rhythm going between us, um, see where each one of our skills lie and how we manage all the different tasks on the boat between us. So, yeah, we, there's a lot of work to do there. Do you have to de- develop a bit of a telepathy between you? Uh, yes, I think it... it is it
0: synchronicity? What is it like that you just become in sync with sailing with a person that
1: you trust and? Yeah. Um, already there's a very high level of trust and respect for each other for our sailing skills. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't have agreed to do it together. Both of you having, having the same understanding of what the boat needs and what's needed at the moment. So both of us getting to know the characteristics of the boat. So. The three women out there, Currawong,
0: the boat, <laughs> Cathy and Bridget, really have to be in sync. Yeah, we do.
1: Three three old birds. There you go.
0: But two of the old birds get a bit of a rest occasionally,
1: but Currawong doesn't. No, no, but we know that she's got the stamina. So. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. she's a real athlete. She <laughs> is. Cathy, the Sydney to Hobart, a lot of these big boats, especially the Maxis, have big business mm-hmm. behind them mm. and they have unlimited funds to fix the boats, buy the sails, mm. make them seaworthy and make them fast. How does a sa- how does
1: a teacher and a nurse fund this? Um, yeah, well, that, that's a, a really, really good point. Um, you know, I'm sort of get a lot of support from my husband, not not financial support, but he's right behind the project and says, yeah, you know, do what you need. But obviously I don't want to impact on our resources. So, and, you know, our means are, are very modest. Um, we don't have heaps of money. So what I would like to think that part of this is about is just sort of challenging the whole idea around the Sydney to Hobart that it's just for professionals and millionaires um and because I think that when the race first started it was kind of a bunch of gentlemen who decided to cruise together to go to Hobart because they loved doing it I love that you called them gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) but there were no gentle women there then no not to my knowledge in the first race Uh, no I, I I think that's right You know, the whole thing of the Making Waves Foundation is about making sailing accessible. So in one sense, we're trying to access this world of a a race. I've discovered that what we actually need before anything else is we need to develop a business plan. And you mentioned before getting outside your comfort zone, sort of sailing's right in my comfort zone, uh, but raising money and setting up a business is not so. Um, we're kind of one. One of the things that you acquire by the time you get to our age is a good network of friends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, so we've got had a lot of support and encouragement from people, and uh, we're looking up, looking at ways that we can develop develop funding platforms, access um, maybe people who want to partner with us to give us a little bit more tangible support. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. because, you know, it is very costly owning a boat, even though you only spent, you know, close to $30,000 to buy Currawong. Fitting it out is not a cheap thing. Buying sails is not cheap. Fixing masks, buying safety equipment, navigation equipment, making sure it all works. Mm -hmm. And you've had to have this boat tested for safety,
1: How's that gone? Look, so so far um, she's been given a a big tick by the safety officer at the CYC, um, but there are some things to do. Um, Some of those, you know, I, I have set some money aside to get the boat to the standard that I want to be at, but then there are other costs like insurance for the race um getting the boat measured. Um, oh, that's, yeah, that's some, yeah. you have to have it measured so that it's for the right class or exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just two-handed. No, but then then they have other divisions and they give you a handicap based on basic measurements of the boat, oh. your sail area, length and it's very complex. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah.
0: I yeah. I had no idea. This is a really great learning curve for me <laughs> of, to just what's involved. You just think yeah, a bunch of sailors going there. Oh, you know, I know there's a lot yeah. behind it. There's always a lot behind and uh,
1: it. and communications too. So um, you 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 know the boat already has good equipment with the radios that we need, but we also need to get a satellite phone and extra aerials. So we've got a portable aerial. So if you need to abandon the boat, you can take your phone with you and in yeah. a plastic bag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so i have to say yeah. that
1: but the boat was really well equipped when i bought her so i'm not having to outlay a lot of money for the basic equipment but upgrading s- some things is uh pretty, yeah. pretty important
0: yeah a little help from my friends you mentioned that <laughs> you have friends helping you um and this song by the beatles
1: yeah well that sums it up i've always been a, a a beatles fan ever since my very early days and it was just nice to get a beatles song in here <laughs> a little help from my friends
0: welcome back you're listening to 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station to find out more go to the website rnb.org.au i'm in the studio with kathy veal Her and her good friend Bridget will be sailing in the two-handed division in the Sydney to Hobart this year. Both the women are are more mature and they're actually doing this on a real budget and it's something to be very proud of. So, Cathy, what's your biggest
1: expense coming up? Well, both Bridget and I really like racing and we would love to really competitive in this race and um, what that would mean is new sails for the boat certainly a new mainsail and uh, spinnaker and uh, possibly a new head sail as well so new headsail, new sails is by far the the biggest expense that we would have but ultimately that would be the one that would make the difference in our performance or our, our potential yeah we, we don't want to just race as the sort of token novelty wooden spooners, we mean to get in there and compete and give it a serious go. And it's
0: really important for you, I know, to to actually give it a go. Yeah, Kathy, what's your takeaway for people who are maybe looking for something to do or just stumbling around going, I don't know what I want to do or I'd like to do this, but mm,
1: what would you tell them? Look, the thing that I've found is, has really given me the most satisfaction in in recent years is just seeing what happens when you say yes to something don't be afraid of a challenge because you're going to surprise yourself at what you can do and from where i'm seeing it now it's like there's no limit going forward in this even you know after 70 years there's still so much to learn so many new things to do in life so many more ways of being in the world and that People our age can have an impact. We're we're useful. We're bright. We're capable, and we can keep learning. And that's what all this is about. We can keep learning, and um, you know, from the point of view of volunteering, if I can, if I can get that into, you know, if opportunities come up to volunteer and you're you can give something to the community, then. It, it, I find it comes back to you in spades.
0: Yeah. And you will be running a fundraising project mm. down the track. Mm. And uh, I'm going to let people know about that fundraising project when we, you know, put the podcast out there because I know sometimes a helping hand, a little bit of help from your friends yeah. makes and other people who just want to see two women be very, very successful in a race not just do the race but have some success achieve something and show people that it can be done I'm very proud of you
1: it's amazing yeah, well th- thanks karen look we've actually been just pretty overwhelmed by the amount of support and encouragement that we've got from everybody including young people young men who say, "Oh, just go oh yeah that's great so, yeah and, and I, you can't kind of can't turn away from that now yeah it's 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 good and then um you know that momentum can hopefully kind of see us through a lot of the obstacles which i know are in front of us and there's going to be times when we think what are we thinking and why have we got ourselves in this situation but you know underneath it now there's something pulling us along as well as us just driving it yeah,
0: and I think, you know, there's so much these days, ageism comes into a lot mm. of conversations mm. and,
1: you know, age really doesn't matter. I Yeah, that's true. Look, I, you know, realistically there are people whose bodies are letting them down and restricting them, but, I, you know, I think I also see people retreating into a zone of safety and fear about the world and... Um, I think, you know, if we can step outside of that, then, you know, we can be healthier and happier and... Yeah,
0: there's a better way of life. But there is.
1: Yeah. So, Cathy,
0: good luck on the boat, the three of you, Bridget and Currawong. I hope she sails well. <laughs> I was going to say into the sunset, but it's not into the sunset. You're heading south.
1: Yeah, if we're heading into the sunset, we're doing something wrong. (laughs) So good luck, and I'll look forward to hearing more. Thanks, Karen.
0: Thank you. Cheerio, everyone. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week, and remember, aging is inevitable, and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside.
2: There's a sparkle in. Not all to five. it's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across oceans